Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I don't know if any of you uh, remember a show that was syndicated. I don't even think it's on anymore, but it was a, a show that I really liked watching. It was called Mythbusters. That was so cool. They blew stuff up. They did all sorts of weird stuff, and they tried to, to prove what was true and what was myth. And uh, after, at the conclusion of the show, they'd say, well, John, I think we have a conclusion tonight. What do you say? Myth or true? Well, I want to tell you that there's another show that's on tonight, and it's not syndicated. It's It's global. This is the Mythbuster. This breaks every tradition. This shows the truth, the whole truth. And when we preach it the way that God wants us to preach it, he will reveal himself to us through it. No man can say that Jesus is the Christ unless the Father reveal it to him from heaven. So even in our movement, in our Pentecostal movement, What we see in the oneness of God, we didn't learn. God revealed himself through scripture to us as the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He revealed himself as God manifest in a body. And so when you say Jesus, you've said it all. Amen. Well, there's a lot, there's one myth that I want to just sort of tackle tonight before I start my message, and it's a, it's a myth that seems to, to jump out at a lot of people that are starting to look towards Christ and becoming a Christian. It's the myth that says that if you come to Christ, your life will be smooth and easy, and you'll have no problems, and, and you'll be happier than you've ever been in your entire life. Well, you know, John, there's probably some truth to that statement, and there is. I've, I found joy and ecstasy that I never thought I could. I mean, I've had times where I've come to church and we've laughed our way through the service. You say, really? Look at the Larsons. Did we laugh? Did we have laughing services? We laughed our way through. And I'm sure if somebody would have walked into our service in Plymouth, they would have thought we had escaped from some institution. But the, par- the, the presence of God would bring upon us a spirit of laughter. But you know, with the laughter, there was also times of tears. And I was so glad... Um, that my sister did some research on my background, our background, family background, and she traced our family back to a family called Green back a hundred and some years ago, and that my, on my father's side, through the, the mother, through my grandmother, we actually, my descendants walked in the Trail of Tears, the Cherokee, they were Cherokees, they actually walked in the Trail of Tears. And I don't know if you know much about that story, the, about the relocation of those, those tribes. It was a, a very 
it was a very terrible trek, and we don't hear much about it in our history classes anymore because I think in our New Age movement, they don't want us to, be, uh, to know what's happened in our nation. They want us to steer us in a completely globalistic, humanistic way. But I, I think about the good times and the bad times, not only in the history of my family, but in my own life. And uh, so the myth that I want to bust tonight is this. Life isn't always easy for a Christian. Matter of fact, if you haven't experienced any hardships yet, I can almost promise you tonight that if the Lord tarries, you will. But I don't even think I need to make that statement because everyone here has. Do you, I want to give you some statistics tonight. Everybody likes to hear some statistics occasionally. So, in recent statistics, every month there are 772 acts of brutal violence against Christians and churches. Now, I'm not just talking about the United States, but if we were to look at the news every month, you would find 770 acts of terror or brutality against Christians. Now, you take part of those statistics, and every month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith every month, globally. Now, it's hard for you and me to even fathom the reality of that. You're going to say to me, uh, possibly even in your mind you're saying, that seems awful high, how do you substantiate that? I can't imagine that it would be so well, I would like you to travel to Serbia and Nigeria. I'd like you to go to Afghanistan and Iraq. Go down to South Carolina. Travel around the United States. And you'll see that Christianity is not just a place of safety or a haven of, to hide from the world in. It's a place where people go to live their faith and it will actually cost them something in their walk for God. Now, I don't think that that's a new thought at all, because if I go back into Scripture, I can see two men in a jail cell with blood running down their back, singing and praising God. Can anybody tell me who was that was? Paul, and who else? So we have evidence in Scripture of the, the new church, the beginning church, back in the book of Acts, going through the same thing. But even if we go back further, I can take you to three men that battled a, a flaming, fiery furnace. And that was... You betcha. See, we remember their names. And why is it that they re we remember their names? Because they were willing to put their life on the line for what they believed. Paul and Silas could have backed off and they could have moved out of Jerusalem and moved to a desolate place in Asia Minor and never had any friction. But they felt that it was necessary for them to follow the Great Commission and preach the word of God without fear or favor wherever God would direct them to go. And it cost them. I like uh, 
I don't like this story. It's a sad story, but yet it's a glorious story of Stephen. How Stephen, who served tables, began to testify to the Jews about their debauchery and how they had ignored their only hope and crucified their Savior and how he, at the very end of his sermon, when the people were rising up and gnashing with them with their teeth, he said he saw heaven open and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, or as the Jews would interpret that, or Israel standing on the right hand of God's authority. In other words, standing in all or supreme authority. Matter of fact, it says that when Stephen saw the, in the, that in the vision, that his face was shining as that of an angel. Now, I, I happened to talk to one of my groups today, and I, I was talking on this topic, and I said every one of us at one time or another ask ourselves the question that if I were to be called in question for my faith, and I were to suffer torture, abuse, defamation, whatever it could be, would I remain faithful to God through what I was going through? Now, some of you might jump up and say, oh, yes, absolutely, I got the Holy Ghost. And, you know, that's, that we'd like to say that, but seriously, if you've ever felt severe pain, you wonder, wow, could I, could I cope with the torture that some of these people were tortured with? So that was the question I threw out, and we talked about it a little bit, and I said the part of the equation that we need to bring in for people to understand is that when we face storms or trials or persecution or pain, we don't face it alone. I remember that, remember Stephen how God anointed him to preach and how Paul and Silas, how when they worshiped God, how an, an angel came and loosed them from their bonds and they, they left the prison. That's the element that we need to understand in our struggle. But not to wander too away from the premise in which I started tonight, the myth that people present is if you accept the Lord as your personal Savior, life will be smooth and you'll never have any problems, is that is truly what it is. It's a myth. Because my Bible tells me that God's strength is made perfect in my weakness or my struggle. Let's go back to Mark, the 10th chapter. Let's look at verse 17. I want to go back and look at a guy that's got her pretty, pretty easy in life. They call him the rich, young ruler. <laughs> My favorite three things. Rich, young, and authority. That, that makes the flesh really happy. Money, authority, and youth. Mark 10, verse 17. As, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That word inherit, I want you to look at that a little bit. 
because it's telling me a little bit about this individual. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. This actually goes along with the story of the prodigal son. See, the the prodigal son, in the same manner, was looking for something he could inherit. He wanted his inheritance, didn't he? His father was extremely wealthy, and he came to his father, and he says, give me my inheritance. You know something about inheritances. When you receive an inheritance, you're receiving something that you didn't work for. You never got up at 7 o'clock and worked at 4 o'clock to get a paycheck to put it in the bank. When you receive an inheritance, it's a gift. Something that you have no part in except receiving it. And so this rich young ruler, just like the prodigal, was asking for eternal life where the other boy was asking for the wealth of his father. Very similar, very similar. I look at how he approaches Christ. This young ruler comes up to him and says, uh, good teacher. I find it interesting that Jesus talks to him and says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, there's no one is good except God alone. Now, is he saying that he's not good? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Is he saying that he's not God? Why do you call me that? Have you ever wondered about that? Why do you call me good? Well, we know he is because God is good. And Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. So what was he trying to say? The same thing that he tried to address with his disciples. Who do you say that I am, the Son of Man is? He addressed him as good teacher. He didn't address him as as the Son of David. And to him, he was just a teacher that was good, well-versed. Before you get anything from God, before you can proceed 
in inheriting eternal life, it's important for you to understand who Jesus Christ is. He that cometh to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Who do people seek? They seek Christ, the manifestation of an invisible God sent to earth to redeem man. And that's why the focus in a, in a, in a Christian church, I'm not going to use the word Pentecostal, I'm going to say in the Christian church, it's so important that whatsoever we do in any of our words or in any of our deeds, we do all in the name of Jesus. Not just because we want to throw out a name, but we want to identify with God in flesh. Who do you say that I am? I, I was talking with somebody tonight and I started to watch the 80 Bible series. And I didn't know, I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm like this. I don't want to get mad, but I'm going to give it a shot. And you know, I've actually enjoyed it a little bit. I just have to just bite down on my, my tongue a little bit every now and then. But I was really impressed the other night because in the Bible study, of course, they, they kind of messed up the story of Cornelius and it, they gave it an interesting uh, twist. But Peter comes to Cornelius and his family gathers, gathers together and then the Holy Spirit comes with flames and wind and they start to talk in tongues. And I thought, hey. And then after it was all over, they baptized him in the water. And then when he was talking, the Cornelius was talking to someone in Pilate's household, the Pilate's wife, he emphasizes to her that he was baptized in Jesus' name. But then I got discouraged when the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized by Philip and he went down in the titles. And I said, well, why, Lord, would, why would these people feel to do it one way and then another? Isn't it important? And I began to realize that they're trying to appease a general audience those that are of the name and those that only associate with the name. But I want to tell you that I never want to put myself in a place where I compromise on the name that's above every name and on the identity of the God that I serve. Because, can I just talk to you a little bit? Amy, if you're listening to this, would you turn this off for just a little bit? It was hard for me to see my, my daughter lose the last name. It was so strange when I heard Amy Fricasse. Because I really like Kylie. I is a good name. And she's always been a Kylie. And I began to think about how important my name is to me. And then I got to think about how God must feel. Because the Bible says, by, whole, by whom the whole family on earth is called, his name, Jesus' name, when we substitute it for something else. Or we, 
we deny it. And so, really, I'm just teasing you. I'm happy for her, but I, I'm very sensitive about the name that I'm called by, the name of Jesus. Remember that Jesus asked Peter, who do, the, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, you're, some say that you're John the Baptist, and some say that you're Elijah, come back. But then Jesus turned around and he looked Peter in the eye and he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do, who do you say that I am? You know, we can say, well, the Baptists say you're him and they say that you're the son of God. And the Muslims, they say that you're just a prophet, but you're not greater than Muhammad. And other people say this about you. But then Jesus comes back to you and says, but who do you say that I am? And Jesus uh, looks at Peter, and Peter opens up his mouth, and he says, you're the Messiah. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Flesh? Come on, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And that's why sometimes I can be sort of tolerant of, of people that have not received the revelation of who Christ is, but sometimes there's what we call willful ignorance where they choose not to identify because they, they don't want to change. But it is important that when we approach God and ask him, especially for eternal life, that we understand who we're addressing. Jesus goes on and he names the commandments. And I, there's two ways I, I look at this. If you look at different commentaries, one commentary will say, well, and this is where I guess I'm looking at, Jesus never corrected him and said, you know what, you're not telling me the truth. You say you've never committed adultery, you've never lied, you've, you've never uh, coveted, all these things. That he doesn't say that the, the man was lying. It says he looked at him. And it says that he loved him. And then he says, there's one thing that you haven't done. Now, some people, and, and, and when you look at the commentaries, they say, well, we should understand that there's nothing that we can do to inherit eternal life. You know, it's just a gift of God. All we need to do is accept the Lord as our personal Savior. And, and that's all there is to it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And... If you try to do anything to please him, then you're earning your salvation. And I thought, isn't that ridiculous that we have all these verses that tell us that we should obey the commandments? Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And whose son is he? He's the son of God who gave Moses the commandments on Sinai, the spirit of God. Before Abraham was, I was, he said. He said, why don't you keep my commandments? He says, if you'll love me, you'll do like the rich young rulers. Because they're the people that, as I looked at some of these people's comments on this, they were saying, you know, he needs to understand that there's nothing he can do. And Jesus should have said, you know what? I'm not even going to ask you if you keep the commandments because it's a relative. 
to inherit the kingdom of God, you shouldn't have to do anything. So why should I even ask you if you've obeyed the commandments? And if it was true that we didn't have to do anything, Jesus sort of said there's one more thing that he needed to do. And that was to give all of his money away. Well, that's not, is that a work? Like, I could be rich. For me, it'd be a work. They'd have to pry dollar bill by dollar bill from my clenched fist. I'm just teasing you. Because I know everybody just loves riding Brother Steve. And there, that's only a myth. I, I'll have you know I put a buck in the plate last week. I'm just teasing you. We got to laugh every now and then. But the point is, in the MythBuster process is, this rich young ruler is a type of how many people come to God. They, they say, Lord, look at me and how good I am and look how I excel in this area. And I'm sure that you'll be just thrilled to have me as one of your disciples. And you know what? I'd really like the recognition. I've got the authority of men, but what about the authority of God? And I, I, but when it comes to giving up something that means something to them, ooh, Give up my inheritance? You're giving up something that you didn't even work for. I believe he inherited it. And the, it says the young man was very sorrowful because he was very rich. Well, what did he do? He probably looked at the disciples and he saw that they weren't dressed in, in, in $100 suits. You can tell it's been a long time since I bought a suit. They weren't, they weren't well-versed and educated. And he said, you don't understand. I don't want to be like them. I want to have, I want to have what, keep what I have and have something more. And that's why when we come to God, we forsake the world. Come ye out from amongst them. Touch not the unclean thing. Come ye out from the world, the Bible says where the things that I own and the money I have in the bank and even the talents that I have, I would gladly give away to be in the family of God and to walk as his disciple. Do I love him that much? Well, then if that's true, and if you're saying that, why do you get angry when some of it does go? Well, you know, I lost a job, and I'm mad at God over it. You know, because I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I, in other words, what I'm saying is I lost some of my income, I lost some of my assets, and now it's affecting my relationship. Isn't that a little bit of, of what the rich and young ruler is wrestling with? He's giving up his security. He's writing a, a check and erasing the balance in his, his savings account. But Jesus looks at Peter, and after he denies him, he says, I, I want to show you something about yourself that will help you not to fall next time. Lovest thou me more than these? Now, only God knows what he was pointing at when he talked to Peter. You know, you've denied me three times. You really can't even tell me that you love me with the same word that I'm using. You only consider yourself my friend. But he says, do you, do you love me more than these fish? 
Do you love me more than this boat? Do you love me more than the world? If so, follow me. Because a double-minded man will always stumble because he'll always be looking back in the direction that he came from. But the Bible tells me if I can forget about those things which are behind me and let my eye be focused on the things that are before me, what will my body be filled with? Light. And what is light good for? Revelation. If I turn the lights off in here tonight about 10 o'clock, you won't be able to tell what color the chairs are. You wouldn't be able to tell me the color of the walls unless you had memorized it because you'd have no way to have revelation. But when I focus on Christ, I have revelation. Can I share another private thing with you? And I, I think sometimes God allows me to experience these things so that I can share them with you. And on Saturday, you know, in a wedding, and I didn't, my wife did so much stuff, and I would never take any as credit like she could. But nonetheless, there were, I was helping her, and there were a lot of things that are played. And I'm on my way to church on Saturday, and I'm crabby. I'm crabby about this, and I'm crabby about that, and I'm crabby about another thing about how. It's not, it's not the way that I want it to be. And then I felt like the Lord said, are you going to let those things that you cannot change ruin what you could experience? And it was like a light went inside my head, like it lit up. And I started to clap my hands and laugh because it was like, Steve, you can't change any of these things. That's the way it is. So just enjoy what you can enjoy. And I, I'll tell you what, I had the most marvelous time at the wedding and at the reception. And because I didn't let the things that I didn't think were the way that I wanted them to be to affect what was actually taking place there. Some people come to church and they're crabby. They're not happy with something that's going on in the church. They got a glimpse of something that they didn't like and, and it's, it's bothering them or something that they wish they could change but they have no power to change it and it only frustrates them because only if Pastor Kylie would do it this way. Well, guess what? If you want to change him, you're going to have to talk to God because he's the only one that can. So if you can't change him, why not come to church and get everything that you can out of it? And let it go. Get over it. And so the rich young ruler, going back here now, he's got a hard time understanding that he could ever be happy without being in control. Because money's control. You know, if I went to, to the Dominican Republic, or forget Dominican Republic, it, I got that in my mind because right now my daughter's laying on the beach um, in the Dominican Republic. But if my name was Trump, 
Stephen Trump, I oftentimes thought about this. We went down to Puerto Rico and we stayed at the Grand Malia. <laughs> was that beautiful? And I got this crazy imagination as we drove in. They had the fountains and all the money that was out there. And I thought, I wonder how people would treat me when I go to register. If my name was Stephen Trump and I was the son of, what's his first name? Donald. Donald Trump. Hey, I'm Stephen Trump. Uh, my dad's Donald. Do you have a room for me? Do you think they'd have put me in the room they did? No. And see, people, in my humanistic way of thinking, I think if I had recognition or power, the power of the world, that I would have benefits, forgetting that I am a child of Jesus Christ and that he's a lot greater than any man could ever be, and that the angels stand at attention when a child of God comes into the room because they've been placed on the earth to serve the inheritors of the kingdom of heaven. That's why angels are here. They're messengers. They're here to, to protect and oversee and watch over. That's how important the church is. The face of my angel beholdeth my father which is in heaven. Wow. Forget Donald Trump. I got a mansion in heaven. But you know what? He walked away. He just couldn't give up something that he thought was so critical to his happiness. I remember, um, I did something the other day and I felt kind of bad about it. I was trying to find a, trump, a, a, a trap for chipmunks and if anybody has any ideas, they're, they're, over, they're taking us over. Do you? Tell me not, I don't have to drown them. I don't want to drown them. Good. I can't, I can't stand to see the little fellow swimming there for hours and hours, you know. But I, I remember the monkey trap. I thought that was so cool when I heard the story about the monkey trap. And the reason I bring up the monkey trap is because this is how the devil catches humans. He doesn't, he may poison you with what you see on television and he may infect you with uh, bitterness or unforgiveness, but one of the things that he really likes and he catches a lot of Christians is it's called the monkey trap. And what he does, he gets a, a bottle. It's got a narrow opening on it. And this is how you would catch a monkey, by the way. And you put a banana in the bottle. It's like a milk jug. It's got a narrow opening and then it flares out on the bottom where the banana goes in. But if you stick your hand in there like a monkey would want to do, you can get your hand in, but if you grab the banana with your, your hand and you close your hand, you can't get your hand out because the opening's too small. And so what they do is they tie the bottle to something solid. So the, the monkey's got his hand in the bottle. He's holding on to the banana, but he's so selfish that he will not let go of the banana. 
And they actually say this is true, that they will actually take monkeys into captivity because they refuse to let go of the banana. And I think about how the rich young ruler was a typical victim of the same principle. I won't let go of my money, but my money's keeping me tied to the world and keeping me held captive from God's will for my life. And so he's willfully entrapped himself. So let me go up and sum this up a little bit. There's four points that I want to make before I close. And let me say this. A teacher once said, God does not test us to know what is in our hearts. He already knows what's in your heart. But God will often test us to show us what's in our hearts. The first mistake is that we don't recognize who we're talking with. We don't recognize who Jesus is. I was looking at some pictures on National Geographic. They had a symposium and they had all of these prize-winning pictures. And I mean, they were some awesome pictures. And some of them that I really enjoyed were of lightning, the pictures of lightning. And I could almost hear the sound of thunder and lightning. But do you know in heaven, there's, there's the sound of, the, of thunderings and lightnings in heaven? It represents power. We have no idea who we serve. We can't fathom, uh, and we can't even fathom the place we're going to live or the place we're going to dwell. Bible tells us, eye is not seen, ear is not heard. I can't even imagine, neither has it entered into the minds of man, those things that God has prepared for us. So the second mistake he makes, he's unaware of who he really is and of his own faults. He doesn't realize that, yeah, he hasn't committed adultery and he hasn't, he hasn't uh, lied, but he's got a problem with covetousness and, and greed. He doesn't recognize some of his shortcomings and how his shortcomings are causing him to drift away from an opportunity that will affect his eternity. The third mistake is he does not see how Christ plays that role in redemption. He's only looking at the law. He's only looking at the thou shalt nots. And he's not looking at the future birth of a church and a new kingdom and a new covenant. He bypasses the new because he can't step out of the old. And the last mistake is the greatest mistake of all. He went away. That's the greatest mistake you can make. You know, you can make the mistake that you may not know who Jesus really is and you can still get to heaven. You know, it's like, um, because Jesus said, believe that I am the Father and believe the Father is in me or else believe it for the very work's sake. In other words, even though you don't have the revelation, truly revelation of who I am, just continue to go on. Just continue to, to plot on. But when you walk away from Christ, 
you close the door to, the, to opportunity for Christ to change you. Well, you know what? I'm not going back to church anymore because there are just a bunch of hypocrites there. And I just don't feel like I want to be part of that because I don't want competition. I wondered how long it, I didn't know how long it would take for that to jump in there. That is a hypocritical thing, you know that. I'm leaving the church because people aren't living for right. Well, you're going to disobey God by leaving the church and then criticize people that are disobeying God in the church? How does that work out? You say, well, one, oh, just sort of outweighs. No. The Bible says, gather yourselves together all the more as you see the day approaching because when you're part of the body or in the presence of God or in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God can change your faults and he can work on you and make you into something that is necessary for the work of the kingdom of God in the church. So don't ever fall for the last one. The other three you may struggle through, but the last one is the one where God can no longer deal with you. You know, I never, you never hear about him again. Nowhere in scripture does he pop up. All because of a few dollar bills or a few denera. I wonder what it means to him in heaven, what it will mean to him in heaven when he realized he only lived. Do you know what the average lifespan at the time of Christ was? Taking into account that children died younger and stuff, when I went back and I, I went online, I love the com computer. They said, well, what was the average lifespan of Bible times? They say it was about 34 years old. And a large part of that was because children died young. Some might have lived like John the Baptist to stick 60 and, uh, and not John the Baptist. John lived to be about 90, but some of the other disciples lived to be about 50 and 55. But the average lifespan was about 35. So if he lived a little longer than the average lifespan, was it worth it? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What is it that God could ask you to give up that would make heaven not worthwhile? You don't, there's not a thing on earth that that's, even comes close. So don't make the mistake of the prodigal or the mistake of this rich young ruler. All right, that's all I wanted to share with you tonight. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.